guys so much. Uh, it's just really encouraging to hear everybody's different experiences and how God's been working in your lives. Um, okay, so I'm going to jump into our, our message today, but I'd love to pray for us first, uh, just as we reflect on these things and uh, think about how we can grow together as a church. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, this community and the ways that you are working in it. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to hear about those things, to share with one another, um, and to just really encourage and challenge one another as we seek to grow to become more like you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we have been kicking our year off with a sermon series all about what we think are um, kind of what it looks like to follow Jesus. So we call this No Grow, Go Together. So you can read kind of the different things that go along with each. And we are starting the year off just by breaking down these things and looking at what each of them means and how we can uh, pursue those things in our own life and faith. And this week, uh, we are in the second part of our grow, uh, kind of looking into what it means to grow in Christ-likeness as we follow Jesus. And as I was thinking about this, um, I was thinking about how, you know, it's kind of, we're coming to the end of the first month of the new year, and a lot of times people in the first month of the new year like to pick, like, some kind of resolution or goal or challenge that they're kind of going after, um, and made me think of some of the ones that have been popular in the past or maybe are popular now. Uh, the Whole30 was like really popular about 10 years ago. I feel like that one's kind of lost steam a little bit. Uh, I did do that one several years ago, and I was trying to figure out why my stomach hurt all the time, so I decided I'd try this one. You eliminate a bunch of foods and then add things back in. And it turns out that a lot of the things that make my stomach hurt are things you eat every day on the Whole30. So really backfired for me. Can't say I recommend doing that one. Um, but I was also thinking about, I know people who have done the 75 hard challenge. If anyone's heard of that one, I would not want to do this one. It sounds very challenging, but it's meant to build mental toughness and it includes elements of fitness, nutrition, and self-development, each of which much must be done every single day for 75 days straight. And I'm pretty sure if you miss a day or skip a day, you have to start over. So that one's pretty intense. Um, I've heard a lot about the 30-day minimalism challenge. There's kind of a, I don't know if this one still is popular, but there's kind of a movement about like, you know, getting rid of things. It'll simplify your life, uh, give you more mental clarity or mental peace. And then recently I heard about the no-spend challenge, which is like you try to go as long as you can, I think, you know, starting in the new year, without spending money on non-essentials, so like clothing or going out to eat or something like that. So I'm curious, how many of you have ever done something like that? One of those or something similar? Okay, some of you have. Uh, I think if you look at all of these, one of the, the common denominators that you see is that they all involve denying yourself in order to grow in some way. So whether you want to grow in self-discipline or simplicity, or you want to grow your bank account, the main premise is that you have to give something up in order to gain what you want. Now, I'm not telling you you need to go out and try one of these challenges. Uh, I'm not even sure I would endorse all of them. Uh, but I think the idea that you have to lose something in order to grow 
is one that we see in scripture and can apply to what it looks like to grow in Christ-likeness. So that's kind of what I want to talk about today. I want to look at what does that mean to deny ourselves something in order that we can grow, and how do we go about doing that? But before we get into kind of like our part in the growth and what we need to do, we need to first talk about the role that God plays. And so if you were here last week, Joel kind of touched on this a little bit, got us started in this direction, but I want to pick it back up and talk about the role that God plays in our spiritual growth, and then we'll get into kind of the role that we play and what that looks like. So the passage I want to look at to talk about this uh, is in the letter 2 Corinthians, and the passage references something that happens in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. So stick with me. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians, and we're going to kind of like jump back to see what it is that it's referencing and how it's talked about. So 2 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 13, says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. So if you're not familiar with this story with Moses, it sounds kind of strange. So it's helpful to look back. I find whenever you're reading something in the New Testament and it references something in the Old, it's always helpful to go back, read it, try to understand it so you can make more sense of what uh, the New Testament is saying. So the history here is Moses, the book of Exodus, uh, he leads the Israelites out of Egypt. It's kind of a famous story. So that they can be free to follow God. It's their big salvation moment. They get freed from slavery. They go out, uh, get through the Red Sea to follow God. And then once they've been saved, once they're out, they're in the desert, and everyone wants to know, now what? Right? What are we doing out here, and what are we going to do from now on? How is God going to show up? And so Moses goes up and meets with God on the mountain, and he's given the Ten Commandments and a whole bunch of other instructions. And he's up there for 40 days. And when he comes down, it says his face is glowing. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. I would love to know, like, what did that actually look like? Uh, And as if you've been here before, you know that when I uh, am looking for images from the Old Testament, it's always fun to find very strange things that are out there on the internet. And so uh, this is the one that I found. I think a church did a whole series with where they actually made Moses like a Lego guy and did all of the different things that he does. Um, so maybe his face looked like this, like it was actually glowing, like it was light. I like to kind of think it looked like, like a bad spray tan or something. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's kind of what my mind pictures. Not entirely sure, but we know that he looked different than what he looked like when he went up on the mountain in the first place. And this kind of scares people. It frightens them a little bit. They're not used to it. And so he puts this veil on his face when he's around the people. And then he continues to go and meet with God. His face continues to change, to glow. And when he comes back, he uh, wears the veil to not frighten people. So just want to read a little bit from Exodus so we can kind of get a sense for that. It says, When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with them, with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. And Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went to speak with the Lord. So that's kind of the history that Paul is referencing in this passage in 2 Corinthians. So keep that in your mind. Keep that picture of Lego Moses in your head. Uh, And 
this, Paul is making a comparison with how Moses interacted with God and now how we can interact with God through Jesus. So picking back up in 2 Corinthians, it says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So he's saying back then, they had the law, and they had the separation between them and the presence of God. And now because of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, we no longer have that separation. We get to see and reflect on God's glory. And when we do, Paul says we are transformed more into his image through the Spirit. So two takeaways I just want to point out from this passage. Number one, God's presence will change us. Right? This is a truth that kind of holds true in any relationship that you're in. The more time you spend around someone, the more you tend to become more like them, right? If you don't want to become like someone, say you're spending time with someone you don't particularly like, you have to work pretty hard to keep that distance and to not become more like them because it's natural. The more you spend time around them, the more you pick up their habits, the way they talk, the way they think, the way they act. It's kind of just second nature. So if you have friends you hang out with all the time, if you have a roommate, if you have a spouse, even if you have kids, I think you're going to start to pick up similar habits from one another, for better and for worse, right? It's taken nine years of being with Joel, but I think I'm finally maybe starting to like football a little bit. So I can tell you it does happen, right? It might not happen right away, but eventually these things are, you're going to become more and more like the people that you spend time around. And if that's true for human relationships, think about how much more true that is in our relationship with God. His presence is so much more powerful than any of the, the people that we spend time with. And so when we spend time with him through prayer, through scripture, through worship, we're being transformed into his image through the spirit. Which is the second takeaway I want to make sure we see from this passage. Growth happens through the Spirit. Now, Paul doesn't really elaborate in this passage about how that works or what that looks like. In fact, it, the Spirit remains in some ways kind of a mystery to us. How exactly he moves, when he moves, what it looks like when he does. And I think for some of us, this can be a challenging truth. On one hand, it can be comforting to know that our growth uh, comes from the Spirit and not from our own abilities or our own efforts. But that also means we have to come to grips with the fact that we are not in control of our own spiritual growth. There is no one-size-fits-all, whole 30 or 75 hard or 30-day challenge that we can enter into, and if we follow all the rules, then we will come out a new person. The Spirit can work in mysterious ways, and it often has a different sense of time than we do. I would say just recently, I've noticed growth in areas of my life that I feel like I've been praying for for years. And while I didn't always see the Spirit working in the middle of it, I can now look back and see how God has been working in my life, 
even through all that time. And we're going to guess that some of you, as you reflect on the last five years, might feel that way as well. So if you're someone who likes a schedule and a checklist, uh, the truth that the Holy Spirit causes our growth can be challenging. But I would encourage you to lean into the comfort of knowing that that means that it doesn't come from our own abilities. It comes from God. But like I said, the bigger thing I want to talk about is what does our role look like in our own spiritual growth? Because if growth comes from the Spirit, then, you know, do I need to do anything? Do I need to take steps? Or is it just sort of going to happen naturally? And just because the Spirit is the one who causes the growth, it does not mean that God hasn't called us to play a role in that growth as well. Jesus actually gives his disciples a pretty big call when he describes what it looks like to follow him. And that's where I want to pick up uh, that same idea about denial, denying ourselves something in order to grow uh, in this passage in Matthew. So Matthew 16, uh, 21 through 27 says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what they have done. So let's think about the context of this uh, passage. Jesus saying that you must deny yourself to follow me. In verse 21, we see Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples what he is going to do. He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be wrongfully accused. I'm going to be humiliated. And then I'm going to be executed. And then I'm going to rise from the dead on the third day. And I love looking at how the disciples respond in these situations uh, because, I mean, you know, for us, if you're a Christian or even if you've just grown up hearing a lot about the Christian traditions of Christmas and Easter, Uh, it's really easy to be like, oh yeah, right? Jesus' death and resurrection, that's the cornerstone of the faith. Like, you know, that's just sort of commonplace. But if you put yourself in the shoes of the disciples, they had none of that in mind. And so now Jesus starts telling them, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be, I'm going to voluntarily die. And I love Peter's response. I relate to Peter in a lot of ways, right? He, he makes a lot of effort mistakes. He tries really hard, but he just gets it wrong often. So he pulls Peter, uh, Jesus aside, and he's like, hey, can I talk to you over here for a second? He's like, this is not right. He says, no, you can't die. He's, What's going to happen to our movement if you leave? Who's going to take over for you? We're just getting started now. You can't, you can't voluntarily let yourself be executed. And Jesus' response is a harsh one. He says, get behind me, Satan. Right? That had to sting for Peter. He actually calls Peter the devil because he says that Peter is too concerned with the things of this world rather than the things of God. 
And then he says to everyone, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus is willing to deny himself and his desires to the point of actually going to the cross and giving up his life. To take on the sin of humanity, to die an excruciating and humiliating death, because he knows that that's the only way to defeat death and to rise again, offering new life and salvation to everyone. So if we really want to be followers of Jesus, we want to take that seriously, then we have to be willing to deny ourselves in order to see change, growth, and ultimately the freedom of life with Jesus. And for some reason, when we talk about this idea of self-denial in order to kind of grow or change in a religious context, often people can think that sounds oppressive, right? They might say that's unhealthy, or you can't ask people to deny themselves the things that they truly want in life. But the reason that I, I get confused about that sometimes is that everywhere else in life, we see that this pattern is true. You want to get physically stronger? You have to deny yourself the comfort of sitting on your couch and not lifting heavy things. You want to grow the amount of money in your bank account? You have to deny yourself the uh, pleasure of eating out or of buying new things. You want to learn a new skill? You have to sacrifice the time and deny yourself the feeling of knowing what you're doing because you're going to be bad at something before you can become good at it. So everywhere else in life, we see that there is no shortcut for growth. And that's true in the Christian life as well. It can only come through denying our own desires and following Jesus. And I think it's one thing to like intellectually agree with this idea, but it's an entirely different thing to actually live it out. So I want to try to talk about some of the practicalities of growth. I know that at the end of the day, right, it's like God's presence is what's going to change us. The Holy Spirit is going to be what causes our growth. And at the same time, I think there are things that we can do to set ourselves on the right path so that we can follow Jesus, to take up our own crosses, and to deny ourselves so that we can follow him. So how do we get started on our own growth? There's a few things that I kind of want to highlight as ways that we can take those steps. The first one is just to identify how you want to grow. You have to actually intentionally think about what it is and where it is that you need to grow. So last week, Joel used um, the metaphor of fruit bearing that we see often in scripture, right? A lot of agricultural metaphors. And so I want to go back to that idea as we think about growth. Say you want to plant a vegetable garden, and you've never planted one before. So you go to the store, buy a bunch of seeds, and you sort of just haphazardly plant them in the ground and say, okay, I'm going to see what happens. Well, I can speak from experience, because that's pretty much the first thing that I did the first year in our house. Uh, And I will tell you, some things will grow, right? Even if you have no idea what you're doing, if you put the seeds in the ground, some things will probably come up. But there are a lot of things also that won't. There are going to be a lot of things you'll have to learn, right? I had to learn that some vegetables, you actually have to start growing inside before you can take them outside. Or you can, you know, use the, the cheat and go to Home Depot and buy the plants that are already there. Uh, you're going to learn that some things need to be further apart, right? They need to have more space as they're planted. There's a lot of things that if you just haphazardly throw seeds in the ground, you might get some results, but you ultimately are going to have a lot of other things that aren't going to happen because there are things you don't know. 
And I think that's a lot, how a lot of us approach following Jesus. We just sort of say, I want to grow, right? I want to generally follow Jesus. And that's great. That's a good thing. And maybe we try something, right? We, we you know, open our Bibles and try to read a book. Or we, you know, decide we're going to try to pray. And we say, well, we'll just see what happens. And if you're engaging in your faith in some way, you will probably see some growth. Some seeds will, plant, uh, will bloom. But it might not be the results you were actually hoping for, and it might not uh, be as much of a result as you were hoping for. And if you keep doing the same thing like that year after year, if you just keep haphazardly saying, yeah, I just generally want to grow, and you know, I'm going I'm to try this thing, or I'm going to try that thing, and you keep sort of getting like, oh, I got some results, but I didn't quite get the results I wanted, or it didn't quite grow in the way I was hoping it would, if you do that year after year, you're eventually probably going to get frustrated, right? You're going to be like, why am I even doing this in the first place? Why do I keep trying if nothing really is happening? Uh, you might even get bored, right? Like, well, this is kind of the same thing year after year. I feel like I've done it all. Why am I doing this? And I unfortunately think that's a lot of where we end up, where Christians maybe start out and they see some growth in their life and they're excited about it. And then when they don't see more growth or different growth year after year, they might start to question things or maybe even walk away from it entirely. But Jesus' call to deny ourselves and follow him is not something that we can do haphazardly. It needs to be intentional. We need to honestly assess our life and figure out where and how we want to grow. So I want to give you a few ideas of things you could think about as you're trying to identify how you want to grow. Ask yourself, where is life hard right now? I think so often God works through the struggles and the hardship that come up in our lives. When you ask people to share their stories about how God's working in their life, it almost always relates to some challenge they faced that God helped work through, uh, helped them grow through or helped provide through it. So where is life hard right now? Where do you feel like you're hitting a wall? Where might God be asking you to take some steps? What do the people in your life say? I can guarantee you that your roommates or your spouse or your friends probably have ideas of how you could grow, right? They may not be um, bold enough to tell you, but if you really want to know, you can ask them. And I bet that they might have some really great ideas. You can audit your life, right? Think through how you use your time, how you use your resources, how you use your gifts. You can look at the fruit of the Spirit, right? That's a great list to kind of start with. Or look at the teachings of Jesus. And lastly, but of course not least, ask the Spirit. Ask him to show you where you might need to grow or to take steps in your faith. And then once you've identified where it is that you want to grow, get face-to-face -face with God, right? This is the Moses method. He spent so much time face-to-face -face with God, and that presence of God changed him. And Paul tells us that as we contemplate the God and his glory, as we spend time with him, as we think about him, we will be made more like him. So what does that practically look like? How can we get face-to-face -face with God? Again, here's just a list of things that you could do to spend time uh, getting to contemplating God's glory, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Prayer, scripture, silence, journaling, counseling, and community. And I want to give you sort of a practical example of what it could look like and how these things can kind of relate to our spiritual growth. 
So let's say that the thing you've identified in your life that you want to grow in is maybe you have a difficult relationship in your life. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker or a neighbor, whoever it is. They do things that hurt you or irritate you pretty regularly, and maybe they've done a lot of things in the past that have really hurt you um, or impacted your relationship with them. And you decide, I want to grow in love and patience towards this person. So you start by talking to God about it, right? Be honest. Tell him how you feel. Pray about your hurt. Pray about your experience. And then maybe after that, you spend some time in silence, just trying to listen to the Spirit. I know this one's hard. (laughs) We live in a world that doesn't have a lot of silence. But if you can carve out that space to listen to God. Or maybe you spend your time in Scripture. Maybe the Spirit uh, and Scripture will bring to mind truths about how even though uh, we continually hurt and sin against God, he continues to show love and patience to us. And maybe there's even a verse that, about God's mercy that you choose to memorize or meditate on so it can help you as you seek to love and be patient with this difficult person in your life. And I wish it was as easy as that, right? I wish it was as easy as like, well, just think about God's love and then you'll be able to love other people. But unfortunately, sometimes there's more work that we need to do. Maybe you need to go to counseling and work through some of these feelings or these hurts with someone. And you don't have to see a Christian counselor necessarily, but if you don't, I would encourage you to then talk through what you talk about with your counselor with a Christian friend or pastor or somebody. Process those things and think through it in a lens um, of the gospel and of who God is. Because again, as we contemplate God and his glory, we'll be made more like him. And maybe, you know, you are talking about this with your community group. You're asking your friends, hey, hold me accountable, right? Ask me about this relationship in my life. Pray for me when I know I'm going to be spending time with this person. And then they can celebrate the wins with you along the way. And through all of it, you keep going back to God. You keep getting face-to-face with him about this area that you want to grow in. Now, if this process sounds long and hard and not at all straightforward, then I think I'm probably describing it correctly. Because the growth that we experience through the Spirit is not always linear. In fact, it almost never is. Which leads me to the last thing I want to talk about as a practicality of how we can approach our own spiritual growth. And that's don't give up, give over. And I think I heard this line from someone, and I feel bad that I cannot remember who it was. So someone once said this somewhere. Um, But... I think it's a helpful thing in our spiritual growth because when we hit those walls, when we're doing the same thing over and over and we're not seeing the results we want, it's easy to want to give up. It's easy to want to say, okay, I tried. I did my best. There's nothing else I can do. But instead, those are the moments when we need to give our growth and our desires over to God. We need to be willing to deny ourselves, to be patient with the Spirit, and to trust that God is working even when we don't always see it. Because we will be doing this, this whole process of trying to grow spiritually, until we die. And I know that that sounds discouraging, maybe, because it feels like a long, hard road. But I also want to point out that as we do it, we get to experience the new freedom and joy that we have in Christ. In verse 25 of that Matthew passage, Jesus says, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And he's talking about eternal life, yes, salvation and life, the life to come, that when we choose to follow Jesus, we have a promise of life. But he's also talking about our lives now, 
As you work on patience and ask the Spirit to grow that in you, it may be hard and challenging, but you'll also get to experience the joy and freedom of being less irritated when someone does something that hurts you because you have that confidence in God. As you work with God to find more peace in your life, and you'll get to experience the freedom of less anxiety. As you work to find your identity more in Christ than in your work or your grades or whatever it is, you'll experience the freedom of actually being able to enjoy those things for what they are and not looking for them to give you validation. Spiritual growth is hard work, but it's worthwhile work. And as I've been reflecting on the last five years of Resurrection City, I've really seen this to be true. These years have been some of the hardest and most beautiful years of my life, both because planting a church is hard and also just because of the time uh, that we lived in. You know, Angela brought up all of the changes that our world has gone through in the last five years and just some personal things in my own life. And through those five years, I've seen God work in my life in so many ways. And so in close, I want to say thank you to all of you for being a part of that growth. Uh, I really resonated with what Brett said, that this community has really uh, been such a huge uh, instrumental part of my own growth. You have challenged me, you've encouraged me, you've prayed for me, you've cheered me on, uh, and I can honestly say that all of you have helped me in so many ways. And secondly, I want to say thank you for letting me be a part of your growth. It is uh, seeing and hearing about the ways that God is working in your life is truly a privilege. And it's honestly the best part of this job. It's so encouraging. It keeps me motivated uh, to following Jesus when I get to hear about the things that you experience in your own life, the freedoms and the joys that you're experiencing through God's spirit and the ways that he's working in you. Uh, it's truly the most encouraging thing. Um, and I'm really grateful that all of you let me be a part of that in any kind of way. So as we head into this time of worship and communion, I, I do want to invite you to reflect. Maybe you can use this time to praise God for the work he has been doing in your life. Or maybe you can use it to start uh, trying to identify where it is that you would like to grow in the future. And as Joel said, that's the beauty of celebrations like this, right? We get to mark time together with birthdays and anniversaries, and we get to look back, and we get to look forward uh, and give God the glory for all of it. So please pray with me, and we will head into that time of response through worship and communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ways that you are at work in each and every one of us and in the world. Lord, thank you for this community, for the chance to be able to practice what it looks like to identify where we need to grow, to get face-to-face -face with you, and to not give up, but to give those things over to you. Lord, we need to do it together, and so we're thankful for this chance to celebrate those things and to prayerfully look forward to what you might be doing in the next five years and beyond. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.